0: I was listening to uh, to a podcast of the guy that we have on the line, and there's been some contentious moments that he's had with a couple of coaches. Let's bring him in. It's Ryan Carter, former NHL or Wild color analyst, former Stanley Cup champion, and host of the Wild on Seventh podcast.
1: Ryan, how are you? I'm uh, well, thank you. Um, yeah, great. Just got into town late last night. We had a little bit of trouble with uh, customs at the border, so a little Typical. less sleep than I'd like. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm terrific. Thank you.
0: Um, so I was I was telling uh, Julia earlier that I was listening to um, a podcast they did uh, about a year ago with the Chicklets guys, and you were telling some great stories. And one of which uh, a contentious relationship with Randy Carlyle was also a polarizing figure here in Toronto from his time uh, as the head coach. Phil Kessel uh, one time threatened to quit hockey apparently because. Carlisle said that he didn't want to have Pop in the locker room, and he's like, I'll quit. I swear, I'll quit. You played uh, You played for him. I heard you had a, a couple of run-ins with him. I was howling at the one where you talked about chucking the net at him after a bag skate. Uh, you know, what's uh, what are some fond memories, I guess, or some funny stories you recall of your days with Randy?
1: <laughs> yeah. So I think Randy and I, uh, we butt heads quite a bit, but – um, I have to give him credit. He he knew what he was doing. He paid attention to details, and he was a, a pretty good coach, coach in terms of X's and O's and having the team prepared. But um, it's funny, the the story from Phil Castle. With, I remember we'd go on planes, and we'd you'd, you'd have, like, snacks and chips and things on the airplane. and. Carlyle would would sit there and he'd kinda of wait to see who would grab these snacks and if he saw you snacking he might have you weigh in the next day and check on you a little bit. So um he'd micromanage for sure a little bit, but I also think he's one of those coaches that liked to push buttons and he really wanted to know how you responded. So at times he'd he'd push your buttons purposefully. I'm um, looking to incite some type of response out of you, and sometimes you got, uh, you got fiery responses out of myself. They're not my, uh, my finest moments, like the one you're alluding to, where I decided it would be a good idea to shove the net at Randy. That was, uh, turned out to be a terrible idea, but, um, yeah, that, uh, <laughs> those are the kind of things, and it's, it's a passionate sport, and we saw the comments out of Baruvi from the, the, the Blues yesterday, I believe, where he was challenging guys and, and saying they have to be passionate. And I think that Randy Carlisle is one of the best at getting passion out of his players.
2: Yeah, it felt like Craig Ruby was trying to get something out of his guys. You're we kind of thinking the same thing, and, and maybe we'll see a response tomorrow night. In uh, in Pittsburgh, we're with Ryan Carter right now, former NHLer, and he does commentary, color commentary, for the Minnesota Wild, who are in town tonight. Uh, I have to ask you about your first ever nhl game which which happened to be a playoff game you were part of that run with the ducks were you black ace in, in that run or was yeah, it the one exactly. before
1: so i was playing i was playing in the minors uh, so i was a college the year before sign and i end up playing the whole year in the minors which was the plan and we didn't have the success in portland that's the affiliate at the time portland maine So the season ended, and Anaheim was clearly going to go on a run. So there was a handful of us that went up to be aces, and we practiced on our own for a bit. And Yeah, to the the point you were making, it was my first NHL game. I remember sitting there, and I was shaking in my skates because I'm on the bench. My first NHL game, Western Conference Finals looking over, and we're playing the Red Wings, and that was in the Red Wings' heydays. So we're talking Lidstrom, Zetterberg, Datshu, uh, Bertuzzi. I mean, the names were huge. I was so nervous. I looked to my right, there's Tim Mussolini, and that was, at that point in his career, I mean, I think he probably... Um, would have been a Hall of Famer at that point, and that was the furthest he had ever been in the playoffs was the West Final. So for me, it was kind of like, oh, my goodness, do not screw this up uh, for this guy over here, Team Saline." and looking across the other bench, it was like, oh, my goodness, I'm nervous.
2: <laughs> yeah, what did those guys say to you? Like, did you get any advice from from the vets, or were you just trying to keep your head down?
1: Well, I, I, don't, think, I don't think you're supposed to be leaking, like, absolutely sweating profusely right. Uh, right after the anthem, but Solani looked over and saw it. <laughs> he could talk a little nervous, so he's just like, I, I don't worry about it. Just uh, just go out and play, have fun. I think I was actually minus one my first shift, and I went back to the band. Oh, and, uh, no. I just... Uh, yeah, I just looked around. I just sat back and looked around. I was like, wow, the NHL is the real deal. This is sweet. Enjoy it while you can, Ryan. Get a good look from the bench. Might be the last time you're here, but <laughs> this is fun." <laughs> yeah,
0: hey, but, ended up uh, turning out uh, nice, start, but
1: it was it was memorable. Yeah,
0: yeah. Hey, turned out a nice ten-year career. You ended up making another run to uh, to the Stanley Cup final. Um, a few years later, with the New Jersey Devils, and like I'm curious when when you look at how the teams were constructed back when you were with Anaheim when they made their run, and then again with New Jersey, and how different you think teams are constructed in today's age. You look at Boston, you look at what the Rangers are doing. Might even add another piece in in, in Patrick Kane. You've got Tampa, Toronto. Like how different is you know just the the makeup of teams today than they were 10 and 15 years ago.
1: Well, it's it's much different. I think it's been very noticeable, the investment in younger players, and I think you have to give credit to the development of hockey and whether you want to – I think you can go around the globe and say everybody's kind of dialed that in. USA Hockey's done a nice job. You've got guys like Austin Matthews and some of these young players that have really jumped in, and it doesn't take them long to be stars anymore. Um, so the, the younger players have really pushed, and they're talented. Then, while at the same time, I think the salary cap has changed things as well to where you you have to pay some of these guys sooner, and then now it becomes almost imperative that you have to have uh, probably less experience on your bottom six because you've got to pay your top six, your top nine, and your D a little bit sooner. So um, where you used to have veteran guys and you reserve those spots or a couple million bucks for a fourth-line chart, like Anna, I'm like, Todd Marchant, he was he, he had two million bucks. I mean, it's rare nowadays that you see that in that situation. But um, and then also the physicality, the game has changed. It's so much more fast with the implementation of the younger, more skilled players that um, they kind of leave slower, more physical guys like myself in the dust, and it forces teams to have to really adjust and change their makeup. But the I think what maybe illustrates it the best is they used to say the NHL was a race to three and then you kind of lock things down. Now there's no question it's it's a race to four, if not more. And as teams try to build their playoff contending teams, the focus is really on that. It's it's scoring and, and trying to get as much talent as they can spread throughout the lineup to make sure that they can get to that number when things tighten up in the playoffs and um, yeah, I think that's really changed quite a bit. Obviously, the physicality out of the game has changed quite a bit too. But um, those are the main factors, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, and we'll see a lot of that skill on on display tonight when the Wild are in town to take on the Leafs. That's Ryan Carter, former NHLer, on the phone. He does color analysis for the Minnesota Wild, and and the Wild. Kind of, kind of, not limped their way to All Star break, but things were a little rickety headed into the break, and now they've ripped off, four, f- ripped off rather, four straight wins. So, so what's this led to the success in the past little bit here?
1: Well, I think every team kind of goes through a skid at some point, and the Wild hit theirs. I think if you look at the anatomy of some of these skids, the way it works is teams start to play well, um, they're winning games, they're finding their identity, and um, you know they start to to be who they are. And then in the Wilds' case, what started to happen is their game started to slide a bit, but they kept winning, and it was hard for them to fix some of these problems because it wasn't need-based. Um, so some bad habits, I think, started to creep in, but they accumulated some points leading into the break. Uh, but then the game started to become, I-, I would say, a little bit sloppier, and they were a little less accountable, and they they dropped a couple games going into the break, and I thought – the they'd come out and the hard reset would have been a positive thing for them. And they are hoping that they could just, boom, turn the page and then refine their form instantly. And that wasn't the case. Go down to Arizona, first game out of the break, and they lose that one. And that really took the wind out of the team sales, the player sales. And I think they felt that that was a game that they wanted to win to, to set the second half, so to speak. I know it's past the halfway point, but um, off on the right foot. And then they started reeling. Guys weren't scoring. Five on five the wild really struggled. They started to switch lines. Uh so things started to to kinda of fall out of place. But now they've had to really get back to their own game and their identity, which is a defend first type of a team. And if they're gonna have success they've they've gotta keep the opposition to a couple goals a game, be good in front of their goaltender, get some saves and really work from that area out. So the Wild have started to find that form, and then play with a little bit of confidence. Now the scoring starting to come back, the confidence starting to come back. So they've got four in a row, and I think they're happy with the way they're building it too.
0: I saw a crazy stat heading into last night's game about uh, Kaprizov that he'd factored in on like 41% of the Wild's goals this season. I often think that like stats sometimes tell tell a bit of the story. Like is is that a testament as to how much of a catalyst he is for the Wilds or does it kind of just show there's a little bit of a, a lack of depth on uh, on this Wild team and could that be an area of improvement come the NHL trade deadline?
1: Well, I, I do think that the secondary scoring has struggled, but if you really dive into the numbers on their bottom six, there are some guys that are on remarkable dry spells, so I, I think it'd be wise for the Wild not to overreact at the deadline and say we don't have it. There's been enough body of work from some of these guys like Jordan Greenway and um, Freddie Gaudreau and th- that they're going to be able to pull themselves out of it, but Jordan Green has got no points in his last team, nineteen games, no goals in his last twenty-one. I mean, Things just aren't finding the net, and it's hard to just say, "Hey, he's got to stick with it." But the body of work lends itself to say, like he can do it. And along with some of the other guys in the lines he's playing with, I mean, the fourth line for the Wild, I don't think they've chipped a goal in in, in twenty games as well. And that's not their role, but you know that that number's usually one every four or five games. So um, the, the secondary scoring it, it has been an issue. But I think they're trying to be and wisely be as patient as they can to help and let these guys dig themselves out of it. But to your point on Soft, it's it's remarkable. He he is a star, um, a a, ter- a terrific player to to watch because he does so many things well. And uh, it's no secret across the league anymore that the the offense of the Minnesota Wild goes through him. So he's getting star attention, and teams know, especially right now. Hey, if we can find a way to shut down Kirill Kaprizov, we got a really good chance of winning this game. I think you look at it; the, he's factored in, in over forty percent of the Wild's offense. Like, you shut him down, the Wild might get one goal. You get two. That's it. Boom. they are good. You know what I mean? But yeah. they, they they just can't do it. And it's because he's so talented, and he can find different ways to beat you, whether it be off the rush, off the cycle, one on one, quick puck movement. And he he really has an answer to everything the opposition throws at him defensively. Just a smart player um, yeah, and a lot of tools in his box. And the special thing about him is, is he knows what tool to use at the right time. So uh, it's not a fluke. I, I think that'll continue to be the case for the Wild, even as they start to score more. He's just that important and that good.
2: Yeah, what a player! And we'll get a look at him tonight when they when they play the Leafs. And the Wild have, if you get technical with it, they've been a bank at this trade deadline. They've kind of been involved in uh, acting as a broker in the O'Reilly and Orlov deals. But what do you think Billy Garen has up his sleeve in in the next seven days? Do you think it'll remain pretty quiet, buying, selling? Kind of an interesting spot the Wild are in.
1: Well, I, I do think that they have a plan, and the plan would be to make sure that they don't leverage the future chasing something right now. And I don't think that that can be interpreted as the Wild saying or Bill Guerin saying that I don't think we have a winner right now. I think it's simply that they've invested a lot of time into making sure that the covers are full. Uh, I think Wheeler came out with an article in the Wild have the number one ranked prospect pool. So I don't think that they want to leverage that situation right now, given the cap restraints that they have going into the future if some of these assets can be retained and can stay wild property for years to come, That that's a much different story. I think Bill Guerin would do that, but I think he's going to be very thoughtful and very patient at the deadline. If he can improve the team, I, th- I think, you know, they'd love to have a scoring winger, uh, a centerman that could maybe help with, with some offense, but I don't think that they're going to go out there and make a big splash, be aggressive, uh, pay top dollar for these things. I see them more as, an 11th hour kind of team. And if everybody passes on a certain guy that they have circled somewhere on their board and he's still available, they might go through a dart and use some of this draft capital that they're compiling um, through being this third party broker. They've got fourth and fifth round pick now. And is that a sexy return for a guy? No, it's not. But if they can use that cap space that they had to go get a guy, package a couple of picks, and get somebody a rental to improve their team in the interim, I think that's something that they would do. But um, I don't think that there's a hard plan for them at the deadline. They're, they're kind of sitting there with their phones open, seeing what comes across the table. But um, like I said, most importantly, I don't think they'll leverage the future.
0: We're chatting with Ryan Carter, former uh, NHL or wild color analyst, and Mark Giordano could uh, set the new all-time shot-blocking record tonight. He's three blocks away from setting the new record, and apparently he came out and said that he's used the same shin pads for the last 10 years, just straight up, same stuff, 10 years. So I guess he's superstitious when it comes to his equipment. I'm curious, did you have any weird superstitions when it came to uh, to your equipment? <laughs>
1: To get a picture of those shin pads. <laughs>
0: I know. They're probably going to beat the hell up right by now. Like Connor
2: David Sox.
0: Well, it's the guys yeah. taking how many pucks off those shin pads by now? Like, how have they not cracked?
1: Right. They have to be like the Frankenstein of shin pads, like just stick together all sorts of different pieces just to save them and keep them alive. But, um, this is going to be gross, but I wonder what those things smell like too. But, um, it's, I tell you what, if I was a D man or a forward, I'm playing out there in the Minnesota wilds, sweater. I kind of want to be the guy that gets the fourth one off his shins here tonight to, to set that record. Right. So I'd be shooting at Giordano tonight, but uh, pretty remarkable uh, that, that he's going to set that goal. And, The longevity there the only odd superstition i had was that i didn't i didn't like to use a new roll of tape so i'd kind of just go around the locker room and steal somebody that already taped their stick or their shin pads and use an old roll of tape because i felt like the first couple pulls off of a new roll weren't good i don't know if i felt it was bad luck i just felt like all the good luck was in the middle of the roll so those are the kind of rolls of tape i targeted as weird as that sounds
2: Ryan, I have one more before we let you go, and it's it's exclusively about White Bear, Minnesota, because I spent a lot of time there playing hockey tournaments when I was a kid, and I was just texting my dad, trying to remember, I had, like, I'm not kidding, the best chicken wings of my life in White Bear at some point in my youth playing a minor hockey tournament, and just now I was trying to Google it, like, where are the best wings in in white bear so i can get a review from you as to where exactly i got them like do you have any idea where i could have had these chicken wings they changed my life and now i can't figure out where they came from
1: yeah so i I, i'm guessing that it was going to be bear Town. is the name of it
2: oh Uh, that could be it
1: a little bar restaurant, they used to have a big clock and that was kind of the landmark of the restaurant. Like, it, I think it used to be like a big banner or something that turned into a bear town. So there's a big clock outside of the restaurant, but they're known for their wings because they keep both like the drummy and the flat both on the wing. So you get like a Ooh. huge wing. Yeah. And then they're fried pretty good. Uh, you get a half a dozen of them and that's, that's more than enough food, but they, uh, they draw quite the crowd. And they get a lot of support from the hockey community, too, because they, um, and I'd love to give them a little shout out here, so thanks for asking, because they do provide and and sponsor quite a few teams in that regard, too, so they get a lot of support from the youth hockey program. It doesn't surprise me at all that if you've gone through White Bear and played hockey games there that you stop at Beartown for those wings because they are terrific.
0: Yeah. Shout okay. out
1: Bear Town.
0: I'm gonna have to get. The, I'm a. I love me some chicken wings. I'm gonna have. I might make a trip <laughs> to Minnesota, White Bear, just to get some wings there, or maybe ride are around. Send them to me. <laughs>
2: so a decade saying. later, I remember the chicken That's wings. Funny. <laughs> They're that awesome. Funny.
0: Um, really quickly, actually, before we let you go, you uh, you've, you've got a podcast out now, Wild on Seventh Podcast. What made you get into the podcast game? Did you expect to get into the media game after you retired? <laughs>
1: No, to be honest with you, I really didn't. The opportunity to do TV kind of popped up and uh, right off the bat, and I'm glad that I, I came around on it. I, I was uncomfortable and didn't know if that's what I wanted to get into post-playing. Um, I got nudged a little bit that said, just try it, you know, dip your toe, see if you like it. and uh, It's been a lot of fun and pretty rewarding, so I've enjoyed that. And then secondarily, the podcast, I'm from Minnesota, and Minnesota sports have struggled to have success because there's this mentality around there. It's kind of always self-defeating where fans, they like the excitement and the ride that they're on with each club, but they're just sitting there waiting for the shoe to drop, so to speak, for uh, the bottom to fall out and teams to lose in the first round of the playoffs or the big game comes around, they're inevitably going to lose it late. And there's this energy around sports in this. So I think it's, you know, like how did Boston win all these titles? How did uh, Tampa become Champa Bay? It's You have to win and kind of have to have the the belief and the feeling that you're going to win first. So uh, I started this podcast with a a friend of mine, John King, to just kind of, try to ease the pain of some of the Minnesota sports fans and really turn their, their minds around into, hey, how can I help support these wins? Because as a player, you could feel the energy late in games. A team ties it up, and the, the the nervous energy just fills the building. And if they could somehow flip that and have it be an exciting energy, could that change the outcome? I believe the answer is yes. So um, the podcast is all about the Minnesota Wild and trying to find a way for the fans to understand and play their role in helping them win a Stanley Cup.
0: Well, that's awesome. It's a good time for, uh, to be doing it, too. It's a pretty good squad, and they got themselves a superstar in Kirill the Thrill, too, so it's probably fun to talk about that guy on a daily basis. Go check it out, the Wild on 7th podcast. Uh, really appreciate taking the time, uh, Ryan. It was a fun chat. Hopefully you can uh, talk again soon.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. Have yourselves a great day, and I think I'll have to swing by BearCon now that I've got the thought of the wings in the mind, so appreciate that.